Arriving from an undisclosed location, you are about to join the leader of the unofficial resistance, the rebel himself, Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. I believe in you. I believe in the power of millions of courageous conservatives rising up to reignite the promise of America. And that is why today I am announcing that I'm running for President of the United States. Ted Cruz, born in Calgary, raised in Texas, announcing that he is seeking the presidency of the United States of America on Monday. He made the announcement at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, to an enthusiastic crowd, to say the least. They were hanging on every word he said. And and what a difference it was to watch Cruz speak for 30 minutes. Now, maybe he had a teleprompter that I didn't see. I think he just had a well-rehearsed, polished speech. And compare that to President Obama, who can't say much of anything without a teleprompter. You know, everyone's talking about his, his uh, NCAA brackets, being a mess. Well, everybody's a mess this year. Let's face it, there's been some big upsets. Villanova losing? Come on. But this is also the man that, um, what do you call the uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions a few years ago? The Niggly Lions? Um, the, you know, so Obama has trouble speaking without a teleprompter. Ted Cruz spoke for 30 minutes. And as far as, far as I could tell, he did not have one. Did not have a teleprompter and spoke beautifully. Was it a well-rehearsed, well-crafted, well-written speech? Absolutely. You can bet that he spent time on that speech. Those were not off-the-cuff remarks. But he spoke about the need to reignite America. He spoke about the promise of America. He spoke as a man who loves his country unquestionably. And he loves the country as it is. And he loves the country as it was founded. He doesn't want to fundamentally transform his country into something else, like a Soviet Socialist Republic. That he will leave to somebody else, probably the current occupant or his chosen successor, Hillary Clinton. I know that Obama doesn't choose Hillary Clinton, but that's who the Democrats seem to be leaning towards. Ted Cruz, according to one poll I saw on CNN on Monday, just 4% backing right now. Jeb Bush, Scott Walker at the top of the heap in that, but... None of them really breaking through. It's going to be a crowded Republican field going into the 2016 general election, well, into the primaries. And it's a long way out. Cruz made his announcement at midnight, March 23rd, 2015. Why did he choose that day? He chose that day because it was the fifth anniversary of Obamacare being signed into law. And it's Obamacare is part of the reason Cruz is in politics. It's something he opposes, something he opposes to the point where he actually took steps to try and have it shut down by running a filibuster in the Senate. He took heat from his own party, even though his own party has said that they will repeal Obamacare. He actually tried. He tried to do something and got called, what was it, a dodo bird by John McCain? McCain says if Cruz gets the nomination, he'll back him, but that's faint praise coming from John McCain. Lots of people backed John McCain just because he had the nomination. It didn't mean he won. 
So Cruz is in. Ben Carson still has an exploratory committee. Jeb Bush still just has an exploratory committee. Rand Paul scheduled to announce April 7th, according to sources that uh, the Washington Times was quoting. And then he'll go on a five-city tour to try and drum up support. So that's quite the ambitious launch if it happens April 7th. Why that date? It's the first Tuesday after Easter. So he waits until the Easter holiday is completely over, and then, bam, he's in. Yep, we have 18 months of electoral politics ahead of us for the presidency, folks. Get used to it. But I have to say, I was impressed by Cruz and his language, his clarity, his passion, and his principles. And I was impressed not just but not just because of who he is and what he says he stands for, but also because of what I'm seeing and having to deal with here in Canada right now. I want to give you a couple of examples. These are examples from the news last week that did not get the attention that they deserved. But it shows you the state of politics in this country. And I'm not talking about Stephen Harper. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm I'm not even going to talk about anybody at the federal level. I'm not going to talk about Tom Mulcair or Justin Trudeau. I'm going to talk about people lower down the food chain. But it talks of, it speaks to a rot in our system that needs to be dealt with. A story on AM640's website, talk radio station in Toronto, said that Premier Wynne will not meet with the Ontario Provincial Police until the end of April. The report said, talking to reporters today, I believe that was the 18th of March, talking to reporters today, Premier Kathleen Wynne has confirmed she will meet with the OPP by the end of April regarding a bribery investigation. They're investigating allegations that Andrew Olivier was offered a job last year in exchange for not running in the Sudbury by-election. By the end of April, the allegation was first made in December. The recordings of the conversation from her chief of staff uh, or deputy chief of staff and campaign director Pat Sorbera and local liberal kingpin uh, Jerry Lougheed were made public in mid-January. So the allegations came in December. The recordings were released in January. The OPP will meet with the premier by the end of April. I said when the recordings were made public that the OPP didn't really want to investigate this. They got their woman in power. They helped elect her. They don't want to go after her. By the way, they're too busy dealing with their own investigation at the union that represents Ontario Provincial Police members. We've got two executives on leave. One, I believe, relieved of his duties completely, if not fired, over allegations of a fraud. Fraud uh, in the police. And these are the people now investigating the premier for bribery. Now, why are they waiting until the end of April? Is she too busy? Is is the legislature that busy? Well, we know it's not the legislature, but maybe she is too busy. I want to read to you from some of the events on her media schedule just from this past weekend. This is all from Saturday, I think it is. Uh, It's Saturday or Sunday. Markham, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne delivers remarks at the Pakistan Republic Flag Day racing ceremony, 1030 a.m. Markham Civic Center, 101 Town Center Boulevard. Later that day, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne to deliver closing remarks to the TO 2015 Pan Am Para Pan Am Youth Summit, 
1230, Eaton Chelsea, Churchill Ballroom. That same day, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne to participate in National Council of Jewish Women of Canada annual Passover food. 2 p.m., 4700 Bathurst Street. She's running to every event in town, but running away from the Ontario Provincial Police, apparently, who are too busy chasing her because they're dealing with their own investigation into fraud and bribery. Compare that to to what Ted Cruz has out on offer. Maybe you don't live in Ontario, you don't care about that. What about what's happened in Quebec? You know about the Charbonneau Commission? This was the one that saw, well, mayors arrested, uh, construction bosses, union bosses, all exposed for being in rackets with one another. Politicians, construction officials, and union officials all paying each other off using public money, all skimming off the top on infrastructure projects. From the Globe and Mail, last week, the Commission of Inquiry into Quebec's construction industry received precise allegations of illicit political donations to former Premier Pauline Marois' husband, but never brought them to the public's attention according to newly released documents. The revelation, contained in documents filed with Quebec's press council, raises questions about the Charbonneau Commission's efforts to get to the bottom of the fundraising system that played the province's politics for years. The allegation is that uh, business owners were giving donations in excess of the $3,000 limit. Now, businesses are not allowed to give donations, so what they would do is they would reimburse their employees for giving 1000 or $2,000. But all the money was coming from the business. Those would be illegal donations. One of the people that came forward and told this to CBC's French arm, Radio Canada, actually testified before the Charbonneau Commission. This allegation was known to the commission. They were never asked about it. Marois and her husband get off scot-free by the looks of it. Same with any allegations against former Premier Jean Chouet. Marois might be a separatist in the bloc, but this problem was facing both liberals and blockists or uh, peakists in Quebec. So the separatists and the federalists were all doing this in different ways. It, was it necessarily that Jean Charest was doing it? We don't know. But he wasn't looked into. Marois wasn't looked into. Then we've got this story out of northern Quebec, Ruin Naranda. This is from Sun Media. A Quebec judge failed to reveal that as a lawyer, he smoked marijuana for years, had gangsters install a grow, install a grow operation in his basement, and offered legal advice in exchange for cocaine, the Canadian Judicial Council says. One of the gangsters that he represented was later part of a chopper jailbreak in Quebec City. Now, the shocking part is not that he smoked pot. I would say that I wouldn't be shocked at a lawyer smoking pot, but when you're smoking enough pot that you have gangsters install a grow up in your basement and then you offer legal advice in exchange for cocaine and then you forget to, to tell people this when you're asked about it while you're being appointed to the bench, that's a problem right there. I know that America's got their own problems right now, but I'll tell you that Ted Cruz looks like a fresh face, a fresh face of principle. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people going after him because he was born in Canada. There's going to be a lot of people going after him that he's far too right. There's going to be a lot of people going after him, period. But remember, this is a man who campaigned 
on very specific issues like repealing Obamacare, and he's still promising to do that. He has taken flack from his own party for attempting to repeal Obamacare, even though his own party says that that is what they plan to do. So, Ted Cruz, you are a breath of fresh air to me. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being a salve. Thank you for being at least something that makes me say maybe there is some hope out there instead of becoming completely cynical. I'm not saying I'm not cynical, but at least I'm not completely cynical. I haven't written off everyone in the political sphere yet. Just about, but not yet. I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. More coming up in moments. He's got more than a face for radio. Check Brian out at facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You're listening to the voice of the unofficial resistance. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. Instead of a president who boycotts Prime Minister Netanyahu, imagine a president who stands unapologetically with the nation of Israel. Another moment of Ted Cruz being plain spoken as he says he will stand for Israel. He will stand by Israel if he's president. And what, what a contrast that is with President Obama right now. Sure, Obama pays lip service to Israel, but have you noticed that he's also the man that sent his, his former campaign team members from Organizing for America, Organizing for Obama, over to Israel to help run the V-15, the Victory 2015 campaign against Benjamin Netanyahu? Let me ask you, is that something anybody does to another ally, even if you're from a different side of the political spectrum? You send over campaign people, you you fund organizations that help run campaigns against a supposed ally? This is unheard of, people. So when Ted Cruz says he will stand with Israel, he's saying more than just he will have Israel's back. I think he's also saying he's not going to interfere in Israeli politics the way that, that Obama just has in the, the election that Benjamin Netanyahu just squeaked through on. I think he's saying that he's not going to attack an ally. Obama's specialty is attacking allies and placating enemies of the United States. Uh, Stephen Harper knows a few things about saying that you'll stand with Israel and that causing you problems. I don't think the same equation the same mathematical equation, the same political calculations play out in the United States as they do here. But here in Canada, Stephen Harper has been saying for a long time that he stands with Israel. You know, Canada has stood far closer with Israel over the last several years than in the United States of America has. That has been noticed. So, but Harper's taken a lot of flack for that. There have been people saying that he's doing it just to get the Jewish vote. Obviously, if you look at the math, that is that is not true. Because if he was doing it just for votes, he would go in the opposite direction because there's not that many Jewish votes to be had in Canada. And the ones that are there tend to be heavily concentrated in a couple of ridings. Whereas the Muslim population is much larger, much larger than the Jewish population. And so if you wanted to 
to try and change Canada's foreign policy from doing what's right, such as standing with the only real democracy in the Middle East, well, then you might just say, well, to, to heck with Israel. Let's back the Palestinians on their issue. Let's back the organization of the Islamic Conference at the UN. Let's get on board with all of this, and then we can get votes. Those votes are more spread out. Um, they're not so dispersed that it doesn't make a difference. But they are more spread out, and they're far more numerous than Jewish votes. So Stephen Harper's not doing this to get Jewish votes. He's doing it because it's right. And if he was just doing it to get votes or just doing it for political calculation, it might have given up a long time ago because it causes him nothing but grief with the media to say that he's going to stand with Israel. Nothing but grief. Now, I know he doesn't really care what the media says all that much, but if it's just going to cause you headaches, eventually you stop doing certain things or you back away from it. Anyway, speaking of speaking plainly, that's what conservative MP from Own Sound Area, Larry Miller, was doing last week when he was talking about the niqab issue, and that is causing him headaches right now. Larry Miller was on local radio when he was asked about the whole issue of the niqabs being worn at citizenship ceremonies came up. Here's a clip of what he said on local radio that got him in trouble. In regards to people who want to um, immigrate to Canada, but they don't want to follow uh, the rules. And all I said was in the interview that, look, it, if you don't want to come in here and show your face at uh, uh, immigration or uh, citizenship ceremonies, then just stay where you are. Now, Miller has been under attack since this happened from all sides. He has been called a racist, which is really confusing to me because I have a question for anyone that thinks this is, you know, questioning the niqab is an issue of racism. Which race wears the niqab? It's not a trick question. It's an honest question, and I'm asking it, and I'm asking it seriously, not lightly, because Miller was asked as he left the House of Commons on Monday, reporters tried to stop him and ask him if he was a racist and if that's why he said what he did about the niqab. Do you think your comments uh, were blatantly racist? Do you think they were blatantly? Absolutely not. I'm uh, ashamed to even ask No, why were, well, you were, one of the MPs, one of the MPs in the House said that. I'm just repeating. Why why is it why? At citizenship ceremonies, you should remove the, the NICAB. And that's all that I said. No, and that's all said, I meant. And everyone that knows it, and you know what to do. So again, I say, which race wears the niqab? The answer, of course, is none, because Islam is not a race. It is a religion. It is a religion. And in, in, apparently, for most Canadian politicians and most media, one that you dare not question and dare not do much about. we got a, a whole country full of politicians lining up to tell Christians how to live their lives, how to deal with their faith in the public square, but when it comes to, to Islam, most politicians become very hands-off. Now, just as a side note, we're going to be testing this theory over at the rebel.media by looking at how Alberta deals with the issue of gay-straight alliances. It's the latest fad in education, and it has finally reached the Wild Rose province, and they've brought in a law about this, saying you've got to have gay-straight alliances in your schools. Well, across Canada, we've seen lots of politicians willing to, to tell Catholic schools that they've got to accept clubs that, that go beyond what their faith teaches. But we haven't seen the same with Muslim schools. But Alberta is different because Alberta has a school choice program. And unlike most of the country, they have Muslim schools that receive taxpayers' money.
So are they going to enforce the rules evenly? We're going to have to wait and see on that. Now, back to the niqab issue. I keep saying this is not something that is required by Islam. Because let me repeat this. Muslim women are forbidden. Muslim women are forbidden from wearing face coverings in Mecca, the holiest site in Islam. So you go and do the Hajj, you're not allowed to cover your face. I'm going to keep repeating that. I will keep repeating that and keep repeating that until people get it. Islam says you cannot cover your face at certain times, like on the Hajj. And then there's restrictions on face coverings in countries like uh, Turkey, Egypt, Tunisia, all Muslim-majority countries. I'm not going to take lessons on freedom from them, but these are Muslim-majority countries, and they have some strong restrictions on face coverings. But Harper is the fascist for saying, show your face while you swear an oath of allegiance to Canada while becoming a citizen. He's the fascist for that. I've been debating this online, and I often think that Twitter debates and the like, they're just useless, no one's going to change their minds on it, but this is something that needs to be pushed back against. Why do Canadians have to accept full Sharia when Muslim countries do not? Why do our legal traditions have to be flung aside in favor of multiculturalism? Answer me that. We're not talking about a, the way someone dresses. You want to wear the burqa, the niqab up and down the street, have at her, go nuts. What I'm talking about are our legal traditions, our legal precedents. Swearing an oath, giving testimony in a court, these have been, you know, showing your face while doing that has been a requirement for centuries. But now in the name of multiculturalism, we're supposed to throw all that away? So if we do that, if we say, yes, that's what we have to do in the name of multiculturalism, get rid of being able to face your accuser in court, get rid of being able to see the face of the person swearing an oath, what do we accept next? It's not a, an idle question either. What do we accept next? We've already got Liberal Party leader Justin Trudeau on the record as saying that he doesn't like words like barbaric to describe female genital mutilation. So do we accept that next? Because when he found out that the government was describing female genital mutilation and so-called honor killings as barbaric practices, he said that was too harsh and the government should adopt a, a responsibly neutral tone. Well, I don't know how you stay responsibly neutral on these issues. I don't know how you say, I'm, I'm, go I'm going to stay neutral on the issue of cutting up a woman's genitals because she shouldn't feel pleasure when she becomes a woman. I don't know how you stay neutral on that. I don't know how you stay neutral on honor killings. But I, I, I will say this. If you were someone that can stay responsibly neutral on these issues, then you are someone that can embrace that. Or at least say to the rest of the society, you will not question it. You have helped move the Overton window on these issues and helped made the unacceptable acceptable. My message to Canadians right now is stand firm. Don't let them move the windows. Push back against this. And by the way, for everyone that's going to call you a bigot, remember that 7 out of 10 Canadians are standing with you and saying, the niqab has no place at a citizenship ceremony. That poll released on the weekend. You're listening to the Brian Lilly Podcast. Check Brian out at facebook.com slash Brian Lilly.
Ladies Hated in Official Ottawa. Love by you. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. 240 years ago on this very day, a 38-year-old lawyer named Patrick Henry stood up just a hundred miles from here in Richmond, Virginia and said, give me liberty or give me death. I am celebrating Ted Cruz today. Ted Cruz announcing Monday that he will seek the presidency of the United States of America. He wants the Republican Party nomination. And he announced it on Monday in Lynchburg, Virginia. Cruz, the Calgary-born, first Canadian-born president of the United States. You know the birthers are already claiming he can't be president because he was born in Canada. They're going to come from all sides. Donald Trump is already out there. Look, Donald, uh, stay in the entertainment business. Stay in the hospitality business. You run some great hotels. I've stayed at your hotel in Vegas. I think it's fantastic. It's a wonderful place. Great hospitality. If you haven't been there, the last time I was there, it didn't have a casino yet. And, you know, there's there's fights between the different gambling uh, kingpins to try and keep Trump out because they don't want him in because he runs a good ship. So he runs a great hotel, but he should just stay the heck out of politics. So, Donald, if you're listening, stay away. Stay out of politics in quick going birther on Ted Cruz. Because the fact is, he can run to be president. His mother was born in the U.S., his parents were working in Calgary when he was born. Through his mother, he qualifies. And if Democrats start come after, coming after him on this, after saying that, well, Obama was fine, then there's going to be problems. Because if Cruz is not eligible, Obama was not eligible. Because you either get citizenship, you can get citizenship through your mother, or you can't. And if it's got to be the father, well, Obama's father was a foreign student from Kenya. I know he was born in Hawaii. Hawaii was not a state at the time. There's there's all kinds of arguments that can be made on either side. And you don't have to go to the, the idea that Obama was born in Kenya if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But the fact is, he qualifies. Cruz qualifies the same as Obama did. But what's interesting is that Cruz actually denounced, or not, he didn't denounce, he renounced his Canadian citizenship. As far as I know, he hasn't said anything bad about Canada yet. Um, now, compare and contrast that to, to Tom Mulcair, the NDP leader, or uh, Stefan Dion, the former liberal leader before him. Because Cruz actually renounced his, his, the citizenship of another country other than the country he wants to lead. Mulcair and Dion would not do that. They're both citizens of France. Neither one of them would renounce their Canadian citizenship. Of course, uh, it took a lot of public pressure to get Mikhail Jean to do the same. And don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem, at least not a huge problem, with dual citizens. I happen to be related to some. And theoretically, I, I, could, I qualify for British citizenship if I wanted to take it out, but I have not applied for it. For me, it's pretty simple. You want to lead a country, you should only be a citizen of that country. Because being a dual citizen means that you've got divided loyalties. And if you don't have divided loyalties, then give up the citizenship in the other country. What's the big deal? 
But if you want to lead Canada, then be just a Canadian citizen. If you want to lead the United States, be just an American. Now, Cruz is likely going to get more flack from the commentariat here in Canada over renouncing his Canadian citizenship than Mulcair will for not renouncing his French citizenship. But to me, it's a this is a problem. But it's also that the way the reason that's going to happen is due to the reflexively anti-American Canadian media establishment. Cruz is American. He renounced Canadian citizenship. That's far more, far worse than Tom Mulcair wanting to be a citizen of Canada and France and lead Canada. Where do his loyalties lie there? Creates at least a perception of divided loyalties. But because our media is so anti-American, they'll go after Cruz more than the guy that wants to lead Canada. You know, I think this anti-Americanism is also at the heart of the Prime Minister's comments on guns and the controversy surrounding that. Because what he said is not outside the law or outside of Canadian tradition. And I mean what he actually said, not what it's been twisted into. But listen to how Craig Oliver twisted it around on, on CTV's question period this past weekend. We don't, didn't have a Wild West. We don't have a constitutional right to bear arms in Canada. Uh, the Americans do. I think the Prime Minister got it kind of confused. And for a Prime Minister of Canada to suggest that we have firearms to protect ourselves from our fellow citizens was unbelievable. We have always, as a culture, accepted the fact that we have an ability to have firearms legally for hunting, for target practice, uh, for collecting, but never uh, so that we can uh, shoot our fellow citizens who may knock on the door or want to come in unwelcome. Really, Mr. Oliver? Shooting people that you don't know that show up at your door unannounced? Is that really what Stephen Harper said? Of course not, and you know that. You know that, Mr. Oliver, but for the record, let me play for you his actual comments that started all this. It's a tool that many people uh, use in their lives, obviously in their livelihoods. Um, my, my wife's from a rural area. Uh, gun ownership wasn't just for the farm. It was also for a certain level of security when you're ways away from, from police, uh, uh, immediate police assistance. There's nothing in those comments about vigilantism. There's nothing in those comments about blowing away unarmed intruders. There's nothing in there about shooting people, knocking on your door without being announced. So when the PM was asked about this last week in Toronto, and it was framed as if he had made those statements, he went off on the reporter. Hi there. My question is two-part. It's in regards to uh, comments that were made in Saskatchewan uh, regarding gun ownership and personal safety in rural areas. Um, First of all, the Quebec Premier and others have taken issue thinking with fears that it might lead to vigilante justice. I was just wondering what your response was to that. Secondly, uh, there were some emails sent to uh, supporters around the remarks on gun ownership and also partially to raise funds. And I was just wondering whether there should be fundraising around this issue. Well, look, in terms of, um, in terms of the remarks, um, I think some, some interpretations, the interpretation you just put on it is, is patently ridiculous. It is patently ridiculous. Um, you know, gun owners in Canada uh, are not allowed to take the law into their own hands. Uh, Nobody here is suggesting they should be able to do that. 
And in fact, we have had in many parts of this country widespread ownership, gun ownership for many years, including for, for various reasons, including security, without people taking the law into their own hands. So that's just not the reality of the situation. So now those comments have started their own controversy because it's got another theory going. According to the, the media panel this past weekend on Global's West Block, the PM's giving different and confusing messages to different parts of the country. But maybe, says Jennifer Ditchburn of Canadian Press, he means to do that. It's talking about some sort of personal security that, what, home invasion? Um, I, I don't, we don't know. Uh, so that's, I mean, he, I think he, re, he really confused the issue, but perhaps that's on purpose, right? Why? Why? Why would he mean to do that? Now, I, I get that these people are all obsessed about uh, dog whistles and secret languages and hidden agendas. I get that. But it is so far removed from reality. Here's the truth. The Prime Minister made some plain and truthful comments about guns in Canada. The media party twisted them. He was asked a loaded question a week later. He fired back. Now his words are being twisted again. But let's talk about what this really is. This is part of the media party campaign against Stephen Harper. These urbanites are all afraid of guns. Their friends are all afraid of guns. They don't think anyone should have guns. So their thinking is just scare enough Canadians about Harper's secret agenda, his hidden agenda on guns. He'll lose the election and we can have gun control back. That's what's going on here. Harper is not com campaigning on this issue. The media party is. By the way, did you know that this Friday the Supreme Court of Canada will deliver their ruling on whether Quebec can keep the gun registry data? Or if the feds can destroy it, they've destroyed all the rest of the data except what was held about Quebec. Everything else has been deleted. And it doesn't matter that whatever data is out there will be out of date by now, that people have moved. There was the great Canadian gun shuffle or gun swap that was held a couple of years ago. There's lots of reasons this this registry data is useless. But then, then again, the registry was useless when it was in existence and in force. To progressives, that doesn't matter. To them, it doesn't matter if a policy works. It's all about how it makes them feel. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been the Brian Lilly Podcast. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember, I'm on your side. Join the rebellion. Find more Brian Lilly at www.therebel.media.